This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I hope back. If it's your first time joining us, welcome. But welcome back, if you've joined us before, to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Told, as I take you into the world of lead singers. I talk to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional rock and roll band. Today we have a great episode. I speak to a tremendous front woman that has done so much in such a long career, a career that keeps going. I talked to Morgan Lander of Kitty. Uh, what a band. Um, if you're not familiar with Kitty, it was a bit of a phenomenon, I want to say, in the very early 2000s. Um, they were kind of the first, or one of the first, I'd say, girl, all-girl bands that really was super, super, like, over-the-top aggressive. They didn't take any shit. Their lyrics were pretty aggressive as well, and it's really, really great to be able to catch up with Morgan, who is not an aggressive person at all. Very gentle, very kind, very sweet. Absolutely love this conversation, and I can't wait for all you guys to hear it. Uh, Before we get into that, I am on tour right now in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it is very cold. I don't know what's up with that St. Louis. It was like, I don't understand. Like, I'm from Canada, and I go down to your city, and somehow it gets colder? What is up with that? I don't know. But I got my parka. I'll be all right. Uh, I'm on tour with my band Silverstein, and it's uh, a lot of fun so far. We're uh, doing a co-headlining bill with our friends in Tonight Alive all the way from Australia. Ooh, they must be even colder. They don't they don't know how to deal with that stuff, but it's going so well. Um, we're going all across America. So right now, we started in Ohio, 
and we're going west. We're heading out to California. We're going to be going through Texas, Florida, and then up the East Coast and back into the Midwest again. So if you are an American, if you are in any of the cities we're playing, please check out the tour. Tickets are available. The uh, link is thegetfreetour.com. Shout out to our sponsor, by the way, rockabilia.com. They are one hell of a merch company, is all I'm going to say. They have more merch items than anybody. They have over half a million. That's right, five zero 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 items. Everything is officially licensed from the band. You don't have to worry about anything coming up weird. You know what I mean? I've gotten some stuff off Amazon and eBay before that was definitely a knockoff, made in China, put the shirt in the wash, it shrinks up to your belly button, it's a nightmare. You get screens that are fading or or screens that are tilted or something. You don't have to worry about that when you use rockabilia.com. It's rock, uh, B-I-L-I-A.com. I want to make sure that you got that because you're going to be heading over there in a few minutes. Or maybe, yeah, you know what? You can hit pause, head over there. I don't mind. They, I'm sure they've got some kitty merch. I mean, they have everything. So head over to rockabilia.com and use this promo code. It is PC. L-S-S. And when you type that in, you're going to save 15% off your entire order. And really, it's great because they're a great company, great people. It helps out the show. You know, I always love companies in general that want to hook up podcasts, want to help out because it's a great format. But Rockabilly especially is cool just because they really are the best in the business. So head over there to rockabilly.com and use promo code PCLSS. And pick up some nice, nice band merch today. Before we get into the episode with Morgan and a great, very eye-opening conversation, uh, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening to this, for being a part of this. Whether you're a casual listener and you don't listen to all of them, you just, you know, listen to once in a while. Whether you listen religiously every week, um, maybe you are a super fan. Maybe you're in the All Access Club already. If you are, shout out to my sinners. You know who you are. I love you. Or maybe you should be a member of the All Access Club. And basically what the All Access Club is, it's for people that one episode a week just isn't enough. So we got bonus content with non-lead singers. I talk to other lead singers. I talk to people from all different walks of music life. I do Q&A sessions every month. Every three months, you get some stuff sent to your house. And we just had the one-year mark, so I was sending out some very cool-looking Lead Singer Syndrome t-shirts, which you can't get anywhere. You can only get them if you're a member of the All Access Club. Um, yeah, so it's it's just a great community. Uh, me and all the sinners, we're on a Facebook group. I'm on there almost every day, if not every day, talking to everybody, we're hanging out, we're discussing music, we're talking podcasts, we're talking just about everything, and it really is a great group. So it only costs you $6 a month to get in the club, and there's different tiers working their way up, but $6 gets you in, and again, that is what keeps the wheels turning on this show, is what keeps great guests coming week after week, and uh, yeah, so I just want you to check it out again, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. That's the link. And again, for as little as $6 a month, throw me a bone. And believe me, you are going to have an awesome time. If you want to get in touch with me, it's really easy. It is leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter, leadsingersyn, S-Y-N, and Instagram as well, at leadsingersyndrome. And if you don't like the Facebook page, go check it out. 
It's uh, again that's slash facebook.com slash lead singer sin syn and we've revamped the whole thing there's a lot more content on there we've got meme mondays we're doing throwback thursdays we're doing all kinds of stuff and again trying to get some more discussions going on there about the show and everything because believe me um the podcast even though they're long even though they're over an hour pretty much uh sometimes we don't get to everything and it really is nice to have a discussion afterwards anyways let's jump in to this week's episode with Morgan Lander of Kitty. Let's take you down and show you deep inside my life, my inner workings. So smell and lack of inner pride to touch upon the surface is not for it seems I take away my problems, but only Hello? Hi, Morgan. Hi, how's it going? Good. It's Shane calling from Lead Singer Syndrome. Very nice to have Hello. you. Hello. Thank you. And I'm just down the road from you, I think. Are you in London? Yes, I sure yeah, am. Yeah, I'm in Windsor at the moment. Oh, awesome. What so, are you doing there? Uh, <laughs> well, you, you talk about it like like London's that great, okay? Well, yeah. I think, I don't know, Windsor, I don't know, maybe a step down? I don't know. Uh, I think that's the general consensus. But being yeah. being a, a sort of a, a new, kind of a new, sorry, I just dropped my phone. There we go. Being a new kind of Windsor, um, well, not resident. I don't live here technically, but I'm uh, I'm dating a girl that lives here. So, oh, awesome. uh, yeah, so I'm, I've been hanging out in Windsor a lot and it's really not that bad. Yeah. Well, I, everyone who goes to a city, you know, like for the first time or you hear things, you're like, oh, well, I've heard it's really crappy, but you, once you explore a city and you sort of live in it, you sort of figure out, you know, what your thing is and you go to places like that. Right. So Absolutely. you can find cool stuff to do. Right. Like if you like little, like hideaway bars or if you like dance clubs or whatever you can always figure something out right you got it you're right and yeah. it's, it's nice here too because you have you know you're right by the border like where she lives i can see detroit like i could probably hit detroit with a golf ball to be honest i'm that close awesome. like, i'm right on the river so it is nice to have that too if i want to pop yeah. over and get some cheap gas or something you know totally <laughs> totally um, but no it's it's true though like we have and i know you've done i, I mean i know you have and i have believe me um done those kind of like, let's make some money this weekend. Like we call it the 401 circuit yeah. where you just drive <laughs> along the 401 playing like all the kind of shitty little towns. Like, uh, oh God, now if I name them, I'm calling them shitty. Like these shithole towns. Has anyone famous said anything about a shithole country lately? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like when you, when you drop into, I don't know, like Chatham or something yeah. like that. And, and I don't know yeah. because the only thing I've ever seen in Chatham is like the inside of the van and the inside of some like really, really like awful venue, you know what I mean? And that's the impression you get of a city, which is probably why you think that about Windsor. Yeah, that is that is true. Well, I mean, they have uh, the casino there. I I went right. to the casino there and I saw a show, and that like that whole like vibe was like pretty cool and stuff. So yep. yeah, like it's it's a destination, I suppose. <laughs> I went. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> to go. <laughs> they have an airport, so uh, yeah. there you go. Uh, Stepping well, it up. Yeah, they do. Well, so good to have you. Um, so much to talk about. Like, it's it's really tough, you know. When you know, I do some research and I look at your career, and it's like 
we got over 20 years. It starts like when you're literally a little kid. Yeah. And it's so hard to sort of decide where to begin, decide where to take the conversation. Um, but I guess the best place to start is with what you guys have, you know, coming out now, yeah. um, which is also kind of a reflection of, of the last 20 years. Um, you know, your, your origins, evolutions, I guess, DVD, live album. It's a lot of things. Um, so that comes out on, what is it, March 30th? Yes, March 30th. And what, what, is, what can people expect? I feel like it's been, I don't want to say secretive a little bit about, about what it is exactly, but there's a lot, it got to be a lot of footage. Oh, there's, there's tons of footage. Well, um, I guess the documentary like has its origins in an Indiegogo campaign that we started a yeah. number of years ago. So we crowdfunded the money uh, and we actually reached 200, over 200% of our goal, which was pretty amazing. Yeah, so it was like 40 grand you guys got. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, 40 grand Canadian. We we learned <laughs> we quickly learned that most of the industry deals in U.S. dollars, obviously. Yeah, that's so. like turns into 30 real quick. Yeah, no, it, it did. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it started with the crowdfunding. You know, um, originally, I think around the middle of 2013, we were like, hey, our 20th anniversary is coming up. Like, wouldn't it be cool to be able to do something to sort of reflect on, you know, everything that we've done and sort of celebrate the fact that we've come this far, you know, defying all the odds or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we sort of put that in motion. We crowdfunded the money um, and we actually found a really great director in Rob McCallum, who is from London, Ontario. He was living in Las Vegas okay. uh, at the time um, and, you know, was an American citizen and all that stuff. But he actually has is originally from London. So there was a lot of cool connections there. Um, the documentary itself was filmed over the course of a couple of years um we have updated interviews as well as um we scoured our archives we went through everything like every like vhs that we had like we had bins and bins and boxes like suitcases just full of stuff we kept everything so we had to go through everything uh all archival stuff so there's a lot of um Stuff that, you know, fans and people would have never seen before, like the of filming of our first album, Spit. You know, there was never anything that we put out, but we did actually have a, a camcorder at the time. And that was what, like 99? Uh, yeah, that would have been yeah. the, the summer of, of 1999 that, yeah. we, that we recorded that. So, you know, there's stuff that, that people have never seen before. All, you know you know, behind the scenes, backstage, all of the recordings of all of the albums, uh, live stuff as well. Um, so uh, tons of archival like interviews, everything like that, as well as the updated stuff to sort of tell our story in our own words, which is really cool. So was it, you say you guys, you know, collectively, like, so I guess it was you and Mercedes, your sister, um, and the other band members, whoever was at the time, you know, in the band, because I know you guys have had changes, and yep. Rob. So it was kind of everybody going through these these old videotapes, just being like, what's cool? Like, that must just be so much work. Like, I can't even imagine. And, and how do you decide, okay, this tape's got something cool on it. Like, do you throw it in the corner and then look at it again later? It gets so time yeah, consuming. It, 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 it really was. And to Mercedes' credit, actually, she was the one that had most of the stuff and anything that I had, I brought over to her house. Um, and uh, she actually sat through everything and like time coded right. and like marked things down. Like basically like you, you're sitting, you know, you know, making dinner and you pop in 
the VHS and, and you're watching it. And if something funny or intriguing pops up, you know, you like she would time code, you know, and say, this is the recording of whatever, or this is the South American tour that we did or whatever. Yeah. And it did, it took a very, very long time. Like, I think like a, a month she was, she was really just like hammering it. Like sure. every single day, just going through everything. Um, for the most part, like in terms of getting, you know, this sort of off the ground, like my sister Mercedes and I, um, I guess would be technically the executive producers. Um, and then, so we, you know, we hired Rob to sort of be the, the unbiased, uh, director to sort of, you know, have everyone, uh, involved, uh, in telling their story. So is Rob, is Rob older than you guys or younger than you guys? Or is he like, did he grow up in London when like Kitty was taking off? He, he did actually. Um, oddly enough, he went to school. I didn't know him. I think, I think he might be a year older than I am. Okay. Um, and I'm 36. Like I just turned 36. So I'm also 36. Uh, yes. Awesome. It's a good year, right? I think so. Are you 80? Oh, you're 81 or 82? 82. Okay. I'm just, 81. Yeah. I'm going to try right to the very beginning. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. My birthday was, uh, on the 6th of January. So, oh, happy belated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So Rob, I mean, he's around our age, so he would right. be contemporary with us. Right, um, right. He actually went to Sheridan uh, with Trish Doan, who was our bass player. Right. Um, Sheridan so, College? Oakville? Uh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's, he, that's where I grew you know, up. It's yeah. To do film. world. Yeah. Isn't it strange? Like, you, you know, all of us musicians kind of, you know, yeah. Like, I'm sure like we probably know a lot of the same people. And all I'm stuff sure. Um, but yeah, so they, that was the connection there. Um Originally, I guess Rob had asked to use one of our songs in another documentary that he was doing about Nintendo. Um, (laughs) So he wanted to like, I don't know, use some like, you know, kind of more local kind of homegrown kind of talent or whatever, I suppose. And it was easy. We just like, we're like, yeah, sure. We can, you know, get the rights to, you know, ask the label, put it on the documentary and that was that but yeah like i mean i don't know that he was a fan like a super fan but he right. certainly was absolutely aware exactly of, you know, yeah and, everything and that's the that was question sort of going it's on. like for him knowing what it was like for you guys starting out being you know high school kids um that got signed and yeah. made a record with garth richardson and you know and toured America and did all this crazy stuff at such a young age. Like mm-hmm. it's one thing, like I can say, even I'm not from too far away or somebody, you know, can hear the story and go, okay, yeah, I get it. But it's a whole nother thing to actually be in London, Ontario when that's happening and be that age. Cause you know, he must have such a different insight, which is really, really cool that you were able to get somebody, you know, to do that. Yeah, and it's very strange how it all worked out. But yeah, it would it would bring a I guess an interesting perspective to it. Sure. Um, but I think you know every the whole point of doing the documentary is that everyone's idea is a very surface idea of you know our story. So we wanted to get a little bit further you know into into the the details and the ups and downs and that sort of thing. But yeah, it, it certainly was kind of strange. I mean, he was like I said, living in Las Vegas at the time. Yeah. But he, you know, he was from London and he was making films, you know, in, in the States and, and whatnot. And oddly enough, he actually now lives in London, Ontario again. So everything comes full circle. <laughs> they always come back. You can yes. never leave. <laughs> well, speaking of London, Ontario, uh, I want to talk about your upbringing because it's super unique. Okay. 
um, you know, obviously your sister is the drummer of your band and, and you guys have been together, geez, like constantly throughout your whole adult life, you know, mm. with Kitty. And um, what was it like, you know, I know your dad was heavily involved in your career as well. What was it like growing up, you know, in London, you know, in high school, like growing up with your sister, music around the house? Like how did this all kind of get started with with uh, your upbringing? Um, well, I will say no, I don't come from a musical family at all. It's not like we were like the fucking Partridge family or anything. (laughs) Um, so yeah, like my parents are not musicians at all. So I really don't know uh, where it it all, like the, the whole thing about, you know, wanting to play music and, you know, being musically inclined kind of was, was kind of out of left field. Um, but I mean, we had a, we had a really great, stable childhood i mean uh my sister and i did have we fought a lot we're only two years apart so we're very close in age um but and we did share some some friends but i think when i was growing up i kind of wanted to be more independent and i was like oh i don't want my little sister around and all that kind of stuff um but yeah like i mean we 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 were fairly stable mercedes and i mainly i was we were both born in edmonton um and then moved to brampton ontario uh very early on and i we lived there until i think i was about 12 or 13 years old um and yeah so we lived in brampton it was it was really cool there was really no like nothing really musical kind of happening then i was kind of you know into more you know like 90s r&b kind of music back <laughs> color then. me bad perhaps yeah oh my god yes <laughs> oh don't even get me started we could we could go there um but yeah, so I mean, like, uh, it was it was fairly unassuming. And then my dad uh, took a job in London, Ontario, and everything changed. Oh, it was like... The turning point. Well, the TSN turning point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, everything, when you're, when you're that young, everything seems like the end of the world, right? And looking back now, it's, right. it really wasn't that bad, but it's like the stability of your school and your friends and the life that you had and everything got picked up and moved far away enough that you know you had to sit in a car for a couple hours to go and visit your friends and so sure. uh it it changed a lot of things especially i think for me uh mercedes i think adjusted a lot better and i did not and uh from there it kind of you know i felt like i i my personality even changed like i became more of a a, I don't know, a darker entity or something. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's, it sounds kind of strange. So yeah. So, um, and then I started to kind of get more into like rock music and metal, I guess, as a, a way to channel my anger and, and that sort of thing. And, and that's where for me, the musical thing sort of came about. And that's when you decided you needed to get a guitar or how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, originally, uh, I started playing acoustic guitar when I was, before I had moved to London, but it was like acoustic guitar. So, you know, I was just taking lessons because, you know, that's what your parents force you to do. Like you want to, do you want to do piano? No, like pick, (laughs) then pick something else. That seems interesting. Um, And then I had stopped and then I picked it up again once uh, we moved to London. And um, this time it was more like, I want an electric guitar. I think I got one, like a $50 one at a pawn shop. That's what (laughs) my dad bought me, um, which was super cool. Um, And, uh, also Mercedes at the same around the same time was like I want to I want to start playing drums. She wanted to pick the drums up. And uh and that was that. So we sort of had the basis for you know, we could learn together. 
Yeah. And we were sort of into the same music and that sort of thing. Um, and that's sort of where the very early beginnings of the band came from. However, at the same time, Mercedes and Fallon had met uh, and uh, wanted to start sort of jamming together as well. So they were sort of doing something on the side and then uh, I, her and I were as well. And, and eventually it just kind of it came together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's crazy. And, and, um, and, and like with, with that and, and just having that around your house, you know, your parents must have all of a sudden just been like, okay, these girls are like really into this and they must have been very supportive. And I'm sure like, if it's anything like my upbringing, like every birthday present, I wanted like a new pedal or for Christmas, I wanted a new amp, you know, like it was always like, for me, it got more and more like music centric in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, and and other things in my life sort of faded away, and I became more and more obsessed with the idea of playing music. Was that like how it became for you and Mercedes too? And at what age was it like, okay, we're taking this seriously? Well, I don't know. We were really big dreamers. Like from the beginning, it was all. It was like we were talking like when we're on tour with this band and blah blah (laughs) blah. Like we were we were mental. Um, And. I don't know, like, I mean, everything that happened from the span of us starting to play, like, we were around the, the age of 12 or 13, to the release of the album was literally, like, four years. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even, it wasn't even that, that much time. But yeah, like, we became more and more obsessed with, you know, you know, playing in the band. Uh, we practiced every, every single weekend, and I think it probably helped to keep us out of trouble (laughs) that's for sure and my parents were very supportive especially my dad he was um I don't know I feel like in a way he wanted to support us because his father was never supportive in the the fun cool things that he wanted to do with his life it was very much like oh you know like you know I'm in business and you need to be in business too and my dad was like a wicked like race car driver and he wanted to do that professionally and like was never really supported so he was always like super into wanting to, you know, help us however he could. And if that meant like buying, you know, a guitar at a pawn shop or driving us around or that sort of thing, that's kind of, you know, how, how he was able to sort of live vicariously through us. Cause he certainly, he certainly could not play. Um, My mom (laughs) on the other hand was, she was like kind of terrified, I think. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Yeah, she was really, she was cool about it. And my mom is like, is like a really cool, cool lady. But I think when it started to become something that like every weekend we were playing shows, mind you, playing shows in bars that we weren't even allowed to actually be on the floor in, right? Like you got to hide you in the back kind of thing until you play your set. But once it became, you know, like year after year, like of like practicing, it became more and more serious. You know, we were, you know, sometimes had to miss school and that sort of thing she really thought that we were, she was like, you, you guys are nuts. Especially she would say that to my dad. Like she was like, you're, you're nuts because you know, like you, you want to help to make this happen. Like, you know, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Um, yeah. she thought, she thought that, uh, that we were all kind of crazy for for dreaming as big as we did. Totally. And, and like in some ways looking back, you probably were. You know? Oh, totally. And, and totally. That's, we but were that's the thing is maniacs. like, I've had this conversation on this podcast before. It's like a lot of people have said to do this, you have to be a little crazy. You do. 
And if you're not, you're, it's not going to work out. You have to almost be, somebody said you have to be delusional. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, and in, in a way they're right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to be willing to, I don't know, like bet, bet everything, you know, yeah. in some respects, um, especially, you know, coming from a place of like, you know, like London, Ontario, not, not like a musical industry hub at all. No. Um, you know, and, you know, from meager beginnings and not having a single connection, not even knowing where to start. No. You know, so you do, you do have to be a, a little bit crazy or well, a lot your, crazy. Your dad, you talk about your dad a lot and I know he passed away mm-hmm. a few years back, which must've been mm-hmm. very difficult, but he was your, you know, your manager and he yeah. didn't have a musical background. He didn't know anything and he wasn't a musician himself. So he no. must've been learning alongside you guys learning which it's funny now looking back it's got to be so funny for you looking back because it's your dad you know and everyone looks at their parents as like well they know everything or at least they're they're really smart so it must have been funny looking back now and being like well my dad was like negotiating our deals or you know dealing with settling with promoters like he didn't know what the hell he was doing no not at all that's such a cool kind of a cool story that isn't you know always really heard yeah, totally. Like he, he was, I mean, he, like he had a, a background in like finance and stuff like that. Like he worked for like Chrysler credit and stuff like that. So he, you know, was, you know, familiar with, you know, deal negotiations and, you know, working with finances and stuff like that. But I mean, the music industry, as we all know, like none of those rules really apply. <laughs> no. Like normal business rules get thrown out the fucking no. window in the music industry. Right. right. Um, so that was sort of a, a learning curve that we all kind of had to, to sort of, I guess, adjust to. Um, and he, I think he seemed to do, I mean, he seemed to do all right, but yeah, like it, it was, it was all completely new territory. So, oh. so we were all like just kind of treading water. Like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Um, well, absolutely crazy. So, um, working with Garth Richardson for your first two records is, was pretty cool. I mean, that's the guy that made, you know, the Rage Against the Machine debut. Yeah. Um, and I, I assume you guys went out to Vancouver to do the record. That's uh, no, studios? actually we recorded, uh, both Spit and Oracle in London. Oh, uh, wow. At Emac okay. Studios. Yeah. Oh, Emac. Okay. Yeah. I know yeah. that studio. That's crazy. I didn't, I didn't know that. I figured you guys went yep. all the way out there. So the question was, how was that journey, you know, going out there to make the record? But I guess, how was it him coming here and this legendary guy working on a record with, you know, kids? How was that experience? Um, okay. Well, I'll, I'll preface this with, uh, I, like I, we were really naive. Okay. <laughs> like we were really young. Like we were like, Oh cool. We're like, we're going to work with this like big producer. And I was like, I had no idea what he even did. Like what albums, like his big albums were. We had to like, look it up, you know, on ask Jeeves because that's what was around <laughs> on the internet back then, I guess, yeah. you know, I go ask Jeeves what yeah. albums did Garth Richardson do. Head over to um, hot pot or, or uh, meta. Yeah. Alta totally. Vista. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on my internet explorer that's right dial up um yeah so like I, I we we were very naive like we 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 had a lot of balls and we we really didn't know a lot about you know i guess the world i uh it seems um but yeah so what ended up happening was is um we got uh signed to ng records which was a small label out of new york city um, at Canadian Music Week, and we were 
we had our, done our demo, like six song EP at EMAC a number of months before. I think that was like March, the March break of okay. that, of wow. 1999. We recorded that. And Spring then, break for the Americans. Yes. March yeah, break. Yeah. We call it March break. Yeah. Yes. March break. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we decided that, okay, so we got signed and it's like, okay, well, we actually can't put this EP out. Like they want like a full length release. Um, and it was actually Rob Nation at EMAC who knew Garth Richardson and actually sort of helped to bring him into the fold. It was like, okay, so we already had a relationship with EMAC and all the people that, you know, Rob Nation is the owner of EMAC yeah. um, and like the people that sort of you know, run the place or whatever. And just sort of asking around like, who, what can we do? Who can we, who can we get? Who do you know that could, you know, produce or whatever. And he was like, well, I know Garth Richardson, obviously there's a connection, you know, um, he is, I guess from London and his dad, obviously huge, huge, um, record producer as well, also from London. So he, he sort of brought him into the fold and asked him if he wanted to, uh, you know, check this out. Wow. And, he he actually said yes, which is like really bizarre. I don't know. Like right. I don't know. I mean, we played the the demos, and I guess he he saw and heard something in the music, and and was super into it. And mind you, at that time, like I mean, NG Records, like very small label. Yeah. We didn't have any money, so he did it for points, which is really cool. That's very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, he he got he something worked out there because I know that record you know went gold, sold like yeah. six hundred thousand copies or something. Yeah. So it was mm-hmm. worth his time. It was worth the nine totally. days that you spent. I heard nine days. Yeah. Yep. Nine days. That's that crazy was... time. That uh, you know, at that age, being able to make a full length record in nine days is I can't I couldn't believe it when I read that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we it wasn't there were some late nights. Like, I mean, <laughs> sure. I I remember you know you know the weekends were like full on full booked every single you know hour we're there until you know 2 a.m um and during the week we still did have to go to school wow so we did you know like we went to school until whatever they let you out at four o'clock or whatever and go directly into the studio and you know start recording do whatever you know have do your homework while you're <laughs> well somebody else is doing something uh, you know, in the tracking room and, and, uh, it, a lot of late nights, but we, we made it work. How could you focus on school when you were doing that? Like um, the producer for Rage Against the Machine is, is there working on your record and you're just like, oh yeah, I got to, you know, do this factoring or whatever in my math right? class. Like that. Right? Just, and, and what were your friends like saying about you or what were you saying to your friends? Like, it's just, it is so surreal to me thinking I have so many questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Like it really was surreal, but like a lot of our friends were just like, I don't know. They were pretty nonchalant about it. Like, I think, like I said, like the whole, like everything that was happening, we were so naive about, about <laughs> the, the gravity of like the situation that we were in. Like we're working with Garth Richardson and like, we didn't even really realize like that he was Garth Richardson, you know, like we were just like a bunch of like super like crazy, wild, naive kids. Like we were so, ex- but we were really excited. Like watching that, the footage is painful. It's like, we were so excited <laughs> yeah, that we, we were just annoying the fuck out of everyone. Like just like <laughs> bothering all of the engineers and just like, just harassing everyone and just being like loud and mouthy and just, 
annoying and we, yeah we must have been very very annoying to uh, to a lot of the older people looking back at that footage it must be so funny but it must be really funny looking back at like just the fashion choices that you've had over the years and like being like oh my god i remember that shirt or i remember that jacket oh, and like yeah that, that. i remember those 60 inch <laughs> bottom jinkos of course <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't remember those <laughs> i wish i still had them i could go camping in them <laughs> The tent. That's so funny. It's so true. Oh man, yeah. No, it was it was a it was a wild wild time. But we really had no no idea of the the true gravity of the no. situation. So the record comes out and and it, I mean it it exploded. You know it it did over MTV all over the US. I guess having an American label was great for that. It was a lot better than, <clears throat> than signing to a Canadian label. Um, but you came up in a time when the internet was like a very brand new thing. And I think yeah. nowadays people are a little more aware that the internet can be a very mean place. But when yeah. you were starting to get in the public eye, how difficult was that to deal with the vicious comments and stuff that you must have faced, especially being so young? And, and, and I mean, I can't imagine you had a ton of confidence, but I could be wrong. Um. Well, I don't know. Like, uh, that, I guess that was part of the whole deal that we were I don't know if we were prepared for it um and I mean like everybody still everybody that's in a band still reads their bobber mouth comments like I I do like it's hilarious to me um, right but it's hilarious but, now to you yeah but, but like, back, like everybody but when they're starting was, out it's not always yeah, hilarious yeah no it, and it was really different like I can even remember before we got signed like we had our like kitty like hotmail account for like yeah you know sending out demos and like we would get like people making up hotmail accounts to like uh, like threaten to kill us yeah, like fuck. and that and that was like before before we even got signed like it was like we were playing some of our shows at like you know like call the office uh yeah, in london yeah. like that kind of size venues you know and it's not like we were you know a huge band or whatever but yeah like people were were very threatened by us so there was a lot of a lot of anger and a lot of backlash. And I do remember spending a lot of time like on message boards and stuff like that. And um, yeah, like I don't think anything, especially when you're that young, you know, nothing can prepare you for, for that uh, kind of um, like anger and, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Like, I mean, like nowadays, you know, you hear about like cyberbullying and that sort of thing. And, and it's kind of like that, but it's like, Sure, I know it is. Yeah, uh, it, it's really, it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's out of control. Um, yeah. So yeah, like, I mean, and like, I can remember, uh, like, reading people saying like nasty things or whatever, and like going into chat rooms and just like being anonymous and like starting to talk about the band and somebody would be like, I hate Kitty. And then I would just like talk to them and try to get them to change their mind. <laughs> Oh, really? Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, that's I was, yeah. I was all over the internet. <laughs> okay. I was all over that. But these people, they they didn't know they were talking to me, and like, I don't know. Like, I, I managed to convert a few people, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. I wish story. they knew who they were talking to. Right? I'm so I'm so sneaky. But that is yeah, so funny. like it it was like the wild west, you know, like the very early days of the internet, where yeah. like chat rooms and message boards and like people would just and i guess people still do like just you know sign up and go on there to call you a slut and then you know oh, that's geez. it and then 50 threads later i don't know it's um it's, being that young though like it, it can warp your mind for sure well it seems like your mind is pretty unwarped 
Uh, it seems like you got, you know, things together pretty well and you haven't, you know, you're no worse for wear, which is good. Oh, but yeah. I mean, I, I imagine, you know, uh, 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 you at a young age with your bandmates going out on tour and experiencing that for the first mm-hmm. time. I mean, that must have been a trip. And I mean, a lot of yeah. fun, I'm sure. But um, do you have any stories about some of your favorite, you know, tours you've done over the years? Oh, my Sorry God. Sorry to put you on the spot. Let me ask you about oh, one. Oh, no. What about, There's so many. What about it's... ICP and Coolio? That was oh, one fuck. That was one that I thought was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. That, that is wild. That, that was one of the most... W- wild experiences of my life and I can remember I don't know why ICP wanted us so badly like it seems like you know <laughs> when they have you know when they do their tours they've got like their um you know their juggalo bands that they always take out with them and then yeah. they always throw like one random rock band in yeah yeah it's it's a really strange thing so I apparently they wanted they wanted us like we were on ICP's radar and that's great and I can remember being offered the tour and I was like no no <laughs> no we will not do that and I don't know how it ended up that we got convinced otherwise <laughs> but it was a really wild experience like there was like the one guy on that band or on that tour uh like necro like literally like his loadout was like unplug the iPod yeah and we and at that tour we were you know in a van pulling a trailer loading our own gear it was very very minimal like just the band and like a couple other guys like a driver and a sound guy yeah and so we were like hauling all of our own gear like loading up and they're playing like big places like you know sheds and stuff yeah so it was just it was crazy but the the people watching is (laughs) is the the best part about it you know like they but their fans are so like they're so blind to everything they don't care like they accepted us like we would have probably done a terrible job of opening for Slayer. You know what I mean? Everybody fucking, you know, just wants to see Slayer, but with ICP, they were actually really, really like accepting. And we were like the very sore thumb on that band or on that tour. But it was, it was, it was cool. Like, I mean, we did the, um, the gathering of the juggalos, which is their like yeah, weekend sure, festival of thing. Of course. That, and that is like, that was, that was like creatures crawling out from under rocks and shit. Like that was, <laughs> that was some shit. I've because, always like, wanted to, you know, kind of poke my head in just to kind of see what goes on, but yeah. I, I've never taken the plunge. It's, there's no rule. So it's on uh private property. So there's no police. It's like they can come up to the perimeter of the area, but they can't actually go in because it's private property. So it's just anything goes like people are walking around naked. You can buy every kind of drug there. They have a juggalo court. They have cages set up. And if you go to juggalo court, if you have a grievance with someone, they lock you in a cage and it's, it was, it's crazy. And like food (laughs) vendors and just like, it's like a, really really demented like traveling circus and the like the show and the music is going on all night long our set was at four o'clock in the morning wow and we played to like there like it was this this i guess a second stage there's like probably like five or six thousand people there that's wild wow at no, four o'clock I, in the I've morning heard, and like, bobby I- brown played before us like <laughs> bobby brown like my prerogative bobby brown <laughs> 
Wow. I think that just that's just like them fucking with people. Like that's got to be. I mean, it, yeah. That's Well, I will say that, you know, like they were they were cool to us. They were very kind. They I they're, you know, great business people. They've really developed like a the whole family thing that they have yeah, like within yeah. that community is is real. Like they they like accept you if you are down with a clown, then, then you're down for life. Down like, with the clown. Yes. There you go. No, oh, my God, amazing. Well, you, you've had oh, so many issues with, you know, the music industry, let's just say, with labels kind of fucking you over. Um, uh, you know, I, I've read all these, these these stories about you guys, and my favorite, my favorite thing about it is when you guys f- kind of said fuck it and, and formed your own label mm-hmm. and then got sued by Kiss. I know, right? Gene <laughs> like, Simmons like- calls. Like, like, it's like, okay, like, that's just got to be the icing on the cake. Um, so talk to me about that, how that's been over the years. Just, it seems like there's been a lot of roadblocks and, and a lot of just problems, like, and, and I'm not really sure why, if it's because of your age or because of just because of, you know, being a female band, uh, you know what it is. Yeah. I don't know. It's really hard to say. Like, I don't know if there truly is a blacklist of the, of the music industry, but if there is that we probably were on it at one time. Um, I don't know. I just think, I think, uh, the industry it's it's a harsh place it's not it's not the easiest place to you know to to thrive like i mean for every band that makes it to the 20 year mark there are right. you know 50 100 200 of them that don't make it past the first couple of years or their first mm-hmm. album totally. um so i think uh, at least to our credit we uh we we are resilient and it, it's been a learned yeah. resilience with everything i mean um, you know, there were many times where we wanted to sort of just like crumble and, and fade away. But for some reason, you know, the music was, was our, our calling, I guess. But I, I think a lot of it, you know, just like victims of, of circumstance. I mean, uh, originally when, you know, we signed with NG records, they sort of amalgamated with Artemis and Artemis records was like a huge label with like Danny Goldberg at the head who like managed Nirvana and like, you know, uh, all these guys, illustrious careers. Um, and then there was so much pressure that I just, I don't know. I just don't think that we were able to deliver the way that they wanted us to. Like I can remember being asked after Ozfest to go back in the studio and, and do another album. And that was like eight months after the first album was released. And I don't know. I think because we were so young, our parents were there to try to be the buffer against, you know, uh, the, you know, types of abuses that could go on, you know, exhaustion, uh, that type of thing. Like, so, I mean, and at that time, like, I think I just turned 18 and, you know, Mercedes was 16 and, Fallon and Talena were like 17 years old, you know? So it's like, we were still very, very young and maybe, you know, maybe we, we pissed people off. And uh, I think uh, it's hard to say in reflecting. I mean, we always, we always definitely were rebellious in that we, we didn't like to play by the rules. You know, if somebody (laughs) to ask us to do something because it would be good for PR, we would be like, fuck you. That's stupid. And not do it and make somebody mad. Right. Um, and so I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe that has, has something to do with it, but uh, a lot of it too is just, you know, 
circumstance, like uh, Artemis Records, um, you know, towards the end of our relationship with Artemis, uh, I don't think they were doing so great as yeah. a label. Um, and for a long time, we were sort of in limbo with them. And there was some legal stuff that was happening as well. So, but that was just because, again, we were like, you know, we we like to to stick up for ourselves and right. and you know it, sometimes it can get you in trouble you know well, a lot that, of times but it also it, could be the reason that you guys are still here like you kind of alluded to you know I mean yeah. I mean the fact that you you played by your own rules and did what you wanted sometimes you know fans have a lot of respect for that and will stick by you when you're not doing you know the cliche things that that everyone kind of wants you to do you know what I mean yeah yeah and um, I mean. Playing by the rules might make you make 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 you more rich or whatever, but in the end, I don't know. Like, is that worth your like dignity or your mm, pride sure. or how you feel? You know. Well, it's rare for an all girl band to be so heavy, like you, you know, like you were. Was there pressure from the labels, you know, over the years to try to you know get you guys to be softer or more accessible? Yeah, there must. Yeah, have been. of course, there was. There was, um, and it, it's interesting that you know we're talking about this because like we didn't really touch too much on that. Uh, really in, in the documentary, there's a lot of other things that we, we touched on, but I feel, I feel good that we're talking about this and getting it all out here. Good. Um, but yeah, no, there, there was pressure for sure. Um, I can remember, I'm not going to name any names or anything, but like, I can remember, you know, being told, uh, we were interviewing, I guess, people who wanted to be our manager, um, because the label felt like my dad, because he wasn't like an industry insider that, you know, he wasn't going to be able to get us as far or whatever. So we, we talked to a lot of people and did some manager type interviews. And the guy was like, Oh, we'll get you an image consultant and we'll get you a songwriter (laughs) and all this stuff. And we were like, okay, well that's not going to happen because the whole point of, of being in this band and, you know, doing is doing our thing. Right. And it may not be pretty and it may not be glossy, but that's, that's who we are. And, and we sure. were, we were pretty proud of that. So yeah, there, there was pressure to, to change our sound or, you know, to, to play by those industry rules to, you know, maybe make a little more money. And of course we said no, and that's stupid. And maybe, maybe we should have, and maybe that, you know, it wasn't the right decision, but I think looking back now, I, we, we, as young as we were, we were, we were steadfast. We held our ground. We didn't want to, you know, compromise uh, who we were or, try to have somebody to portray us in a different way than other than exactly who we, we felt we were. Oh, I think that's great. I mean, and yeah, the documentary is really cool. Um, I love that you, you know, on the, the Facebook header or whatever of your page, you kind of have this big panoramic shot with like all the members of the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a really, really cool idea. It kind of shows your legacy, but it's also sort of a nice tribute to everyone. Yeah. Um, especially a nice tribute to Trish, you know, yeah. passing away last year. That must have been very, very hard for you. That was... Uh... It, honestly, the like the most devastating thing. Um, Trish, Trish was Trish was my best friend. Like our our relationship uh, in the band, especially um, with the you know the the last lineup, you know Tara, Trish, and Mercedes, and I. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, sometimes you know people don't understand that you know being in a band also is like being a family, and you know our relationship transcended just like you know being you know, business partners or, you know, just even just playing, you know, like we were, we were best friends. Um, 
and I, I don't know, like one of, one of the most devastating things that's, uh, that's ever, ever happened to me. And it's, it's kind of messed up. Like the one year, like a year has gone by, like the one year anniversary is coming up. And like, I, I am so, so sad that she is not here to, to be a part of this because, you know, the show that we did in October, like she should have been there. That's something that she would have wanted. Um, and you know, to have, I mean, she's in, obviously she's in the documentary. The documentary was right. finished before she passed away. So she saw everything, you know, she was she very help, pleased. Did she help you work on it too? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. She, there's, there's updated interviews there and everything like that. And, um, you know, okay. Trish actually did all the Indiegogo stuff for us too. Like she's a like graphic designer as well. And like, you know, super, super talented. So she was very much a part of, of, you know, creating this and, and making sure that it kind of went out the way that, that it did. And there's an updated, her updated interview in there is, is fantastic. And it's just, yeah. I just can't believe that, you know, I just cannot believe it. Are you guys doing any kind of premiere for it? Or are you renting out like a theater or having like pe- people be able to come watch the, the documentary all together with you guys? Uh, well, we actually did uh, October 27th. Um, we did a uh, friends and family. Um, oh, cool premiere which i was one of the indiegogo perks so anyone that paid for you know the chance to come to the friends and family event we rented at a theater in london um we had like some photographers there and then uh you know we we had you know the press and everybody there showed the documentary uh to everyone and then we walked uh down the street to the london music hall and we played the 20th anniversary show which uh everybody that's on the cover there, yep. Uh, save for Trish, of course, um, was was playing at the show. So we did, uh, I guess, different lineups. We had the original lineup play. Um, we had the you know Oracle until the end lineup play. Wow. Um, and we had the in the black and I failed you lineup play. So that we did three different sets. Um, and then uh, a tribute uh, for Trish at the end. Uh, well, what's that like for you? I mean, is that is it was it emotional was it just a lot of fun like i'm sure a lot of those people you you know you don't talk to every day you know or somebody yeah. you probably haven't talked to in many years so what was that just yeah. that experience like for you in general um honestly it was like one of the best nights ever um you know i had been organizing everything uh pretty much just myself uh you know for the last number of months before the show. And so, you know, I was very stressed out a lot was sort of riding on it, you know, arranging travel and making sure everybody, you know, was practiced and knew the set and knew what sort of how everything was going to go down. Um, but as soon as we got on stage, it's amazing that how it doesn't even matter how long it's been. The chemistry <laughs> will always be there. Right. Like it was, it was such a magical night and I'm so glad that there were so many, so many people that came from all over the world. Like people flew in from Australia, from Germany, like from South America to come to the show. It was, it was so wild. Um, and you know, getting to, to rock out with like Ivy and Tara again and like the original lineup, uh, Fallon and Tanya, like we hadn't been on stage together in 18 years. (laughs) So that was made me feel really old <laughs> but but it's, it's amazing. your life isn't that scary yeah totally but the power and the magic is still there so it's always it's always an interesting thing that you just kind of fall right back into those grooves regardless of of the passage of time 
Wow. So what's going on next? I know, you know, you've got kind of like a day, a day job and Mercedes does as well. You guys aren't a full-time band at the moment. Um, but when can the fans uh, and everybody expect, you know, a new Kitty album, a tour, something else other than, than this, uh, than this documentary? Well, um, it's hard to say. I mean, the documentary itself is sort of our, you know, our, our presentation for the world. Um, you know, it's going to include, uh, the DVD and Blu-ray and there's a live album. All the, the live stuff is sourced from different eras. So we've got stuff going all the way back to OzFest 2000, that wow. sort of thing. Um, so you're getting a live experience in a way, in a way that you, you know, most people wouldn't have had the, the luxury of experiencing it in that way. So, but it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think that the documentary hopefully will open some doors. I can't say that there will be like, you know, like a full, us tour or anything like that but i i do think that you know an idea like the show that we did uh in october is a is very real it's 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 a you know it's potential um and we'll you know be doing a lot of um you know appearances hopefully a a few more premieres and places to at least you know have the documentary uh scene uh, by an audience yeah. and, and, and we'll, we'll take it from there. I mean, I think it's, it had been about four years since we had played a show, uh, before this show in October. So we're sort of just getting our feet wet and testing the waters with, you know, what the reaction, I guess totally. is going to be and, and, and take it from there. But totally. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Totally. And because this is a podcast, I know you have been dabbling in podcasting as well with your own podcast, the Witch Finger Podcast, which I think is very cool. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of something that you started with a couple friends to talk about horror uh, movies, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a, yeah, it's basically an 80s horror podcast. So we only Sick. watch the best of the worst. Um, and we've been doing it for about two years now. Uh, we, I don't know, podcasts are, they're like fun. I don't know. It's like sitting in like a living room with a bunch of friends, right? Like, and essentially that's kind of what we were already doing when we were just hanging out. Like, let's, you know, have some drinks and watch a bad movie and just like laugh and like look up, you know, trivia on IMDb and, and just have a good, have a good time. And we always, we always thought that we were really funny. So we're like, maybe, maybe other people will think we're funny too. Um, and so far, you know, we have a, a, a pretty good audience. Um, sure, and awesome. we've been doing it for a couple of years now. And I think we have like 25, 26 episodes, something nice. like that. Um, yeah. And we, we watch all the, all the, the eighties horror goodness. So, um, what's, it's up on, definitely, what's coming up on the list? Like what are some ones that you really want to dive into or can you not divulge that? Oh no, we definitely can. Um, I think our next episode will be dolls. Okay. Uh, if you remember dolls, <laughs> yeah, <I> remember dolls. <laughs> um, who doesn't like that was one of those like <laughs> horror section, like jumbo video, like oh, man. it's like one of the like covers that always popped out at you with that doll with her friggin' eyes popping out and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that that's cool. Right. So, um, we're going to be doing dolls. That'll be our next episode. And, uh, the last episode that we did was, house we've done like fright night yeah um all kinds of uh, all kinds of good stuff really bad stuff and also really good stuff so yeah check it out which finger horror podcast which and finger uh horror podcast i'm sure a lot of people will yeah. check it out because this is a podcast yeah. and people like podcasts for sure. so yes not for the faint of heart though we we if you're interested in in what you know girls 
really talk about when they're just hanging out, you should probably should probably take a listen. We're 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 a bit crass, I would say. It's it's rated R or above for sure. <laughs> Perfect. That makes it even better. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I don't think I have any really thing anything else to to talk to you about. We've covered so much ground, but I'm really excited to uh, watch this documentary, as I'm sure a lot of other awesome. people are. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Thank you, Morgan. And uh, yeah, have an awesome one. All right. I'll see you around. Have a great night. Cheers. Take okay. care. Bye now. Bye. So there it is with Morgan. Uh, what a great conversation. I just really enjoyed it. She was such a sweetheart. And it it's really cool like going back and just thinking about how different you know, the world was. And you know, I had this this thought. I don't know if this is a stupid thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. You know, I remember growing up and and in the early 90s and you know, there were bands like, you know, uh Nirvana and and uh Pearl Jam and you know, those were the big bands at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, the older bands like, you know, uh Led Zeppelin and and Pink Floyd and and you know, even the Beatles, like that those bands were so old and it was so long ago. And what's crazy is in 1991, you know, it was only 20 years previously that Led Zeppelin had put out, you know, like their third album. Like Black Sabbath had put out, I think they were on their second album at the time. And that only been 20 years. So what's crazy now is to think that over 25 years past has passed since Nirvana, you know, put out music. And that's my childhood. So what's crazy and how this relates to Kitty is you're talking about, what has it been? 20 years they have been a band and how much has changed and the way technology has changed it's escalated far quickly than it had you know from 1970 to 1992 let's say than from you know 2000 to 2018 so it is really really crazy just to see how far it's come so I cannot wait to watch this documentary it comes out in March make sure you check it out make sure you pick it up as always, I will leave you with a tune, and I know a lot of you guys know, you know, Brackish, and you know some of the earlier Kitty stuff, but I want to play a song that came out, you know, on their last kind of official album, uh, just to show some of the progression. You know, I know I played Brackish over in the intro. I'm going to play a song called We Are The Lamb from their album I've Failed You, which came out in 2011. Check it out if you like what you hear, and make sure you pick up that DVD. Very, very, very cool stuff. Here it is. Kitty on Lee Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next time.